0: One of the great things about distance running is that it's proof that persistence really pays off. While nothing is ever guaranteed, it stands to show that if you put in the work, learn from your past experiences, adjust accordingly, and keep showing up, you'll likely find yourself in a position to improve on past results. On this week's show, we have two guests, both some of the most persistent athletes I know. Natasha Wodak, Canadian 10,000-meter record holder and Pan Am gold medalist, is gearing up for the world champs, and she joins us on this week's show. She's up first, and then we're joined by Lewis Kent. It was only a few years ago that he took his ability to run fast and drink beer to bring the beer mile to popular culture, landing him on LNTMZ, and a whole lot more. He talks about that in his brand new book, A World Champion's Guide to the Beer Mile. You're listening to The Terminal Mile. My name is Michael Rokas, and this is a Tracky Radio production. Amongst all the Pan Am performances, one that really stands out to me was Natasha Wodek's 10,000 meter gold and new Pan Am record of 31.55. If you'll recall, she was on the show last year to talk about her training, including what she was focusing on. And if you watch the race, you can really see each bit of training pay off. Natasha joined us earlier this week. All right, so, you know, I think that the that the result people are most familiar with, as of right now, is the 3155, a brand new Pan American Games record. Um, you know, a gold medal for you. But, oh, man, the, the whole road of getting here has just been... Well, you're definitely very well acquainted with it. You've lived it. I mean, you know, there is you know ent- entering into the re-entering into the game kind of at a late stage you know there was the the funding denials there's being dropped by your sponsor but you know through it all you you've come back and a moment like that is has just got to be something that is so so special to you has it really sunk in you know like have you put it all in context of your entire career looking back at, at what happened at commonwealth games
1: i don't know if it's sunk in it's um i'm You know, I've, I've come, I was really tired when I got home. I think everything sort of caught up to me, all the excitement while I was there. And, um, I think, you know, we have the model, don't let the highs get too high and the lows get too low. So I think I enjoyed, um, the week and celebrated and, uh, it was really cool. And now it's kind of like, okay, back to training world champs is in six weeks, you know, and, um here we go again. So we're building again. And, and, um, yeah, but definitely it was, um, very cool. And my first global medal. So that meant a lot, especially, you know, at 37. So
0: (laughs) we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, about the schedule of things and how, you know, this was really close Canadian, to Canadian champs, uh, but also kind of kind of far away from from the uh, ten thousand meter championships, which which you raced in 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 British Columbia, uh, probably what about a month a month and a half ago now. it's such a long long season this year with with World Champs being as late as they are. Where did where did Pan Ams fit into this and in the whole build?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, Lynn and I sat down, you know back in in December and you know made a good plan and you know periodized everything really well making sure that we we put in rest when when we needed to rest and uh, just trusting that taking three days off here and there was not going to I wasn't going to lose fitness for the next sort of bill because everything was so quick you know and so after the Houston half I took three days off that was in January and then after Peyton Jordan in May, I took three days off and then easy and we started building, you know. And then uh, there was an, about, I don't know, I think it was five weeks until the national championships, which were June 13th. And then I took another couple of days off and started building towards um, Pan Am Games. And again, just took three days off and easy. And now we're building again. And I think that's been the key is really um, taking the time to rest after every big effort, instead of just, you know, pushing through and getting back into workouts right away.
0: You know, uh, from from what I heard in that, um, it sounds like, I know we definitely the last time that we spoke, you you know you talked about the importance of of rest, the of importance of you know cross training, the importance of of all you know recovery and all that sort of stuff. So it sounds like you're carrying that forward, but you know also following along with with your career, you did something. Um, I don't want to say new, but I mean like you you kind of went back to to something familiar and that you didn't go away for a training camp before you went down to pan am's what was that like staying and and doing one last training camp uh you know out of the hometown before heading to uh the big uh the big meet
1: (laughs) it was it was really good i was you know it's a little sad to be missing you know racing in europe and and finding a fast five thousand. i haven't I haven't had the opportunity to run a 5,000 on the track this year, but, you know, I can't do it all. And so I decided it was really important to be home and be, be able to train with Lynn a bit and be in my home environment with my family and friends and my support system. And, you know, there's no better place than Vancouver to train in the summer. It's absolutely beautiful here and ideal temperatures. So uh, I think it was really good for me to be to be home, and I love you know, I, I'm i very close to my friends and family, so um, it was nice. I felt very settled, and I went into Pan Ams feeling um, ready, and, like, it was nice to have that training block in the summer when I feel like a lot of the times people, you know, I, I would have raced normally, so it was good to take that four weeks of no racing and then go for it.
0: You know, last time we talked, we, you talked about, uh, you know, Coach Lynn and working on that that big kick at the end of the race. Um, you know, that's watching, watching back that Pan Am race, that, um, that last lap was, was pretty crazy. Like you really, you really laid it down there. That, that's something that you guys are still working on. Is that something that you've seen a lot of progress with?
1: Oh yeah. Huge progress. And we've been working on it continually. Um, when I'm on, when I have a track session, um, we, when we're gearing up for a big race, uh, she'll throw in, um, a fast 400 at the end and it's basically, you know, I don't want to say all out, but it's, you know, pretty much all out and it's been been such a confidence builder to know that when I'm at the end of a session and I'm exhausted, I've been able to run, you know, a 65. We've been doing it so often now that I'm confident with it and that's a huge, huge difference whereas before I didn't trust that, that I would have that at the end.
0: So, uh, as of right now, what does an optimal 10,000 meter race look like for you? Like, what, how are you going to perform best, um, come world's time? Uh, you know, when, when you step to the line, what, what does that good race look like?
1: Um, I'm hoping that it goes out at like, you know, a, a decent pace, like nothing crazy fast where I, you know, it's, like, like world champions or at Olympics when she went out in like sub 30 pace. Hmm. So I'm hoping it doesn't go out that hard, but at a good pace. And, you know, it'd be really great if I could, uh, get Olympic standard while in there. If it, if it's a fast race, I feel like, um, I'm hoping that my fitness will be there and, um, I can compete well and and place in the top half of the field. It's my goal.
0: With that slightly, uh, slightly more confusing, um, you know, Olympic standards and stuff this year, what 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 does that mean for for you, and especially the ten thousand? Because you can't really knock out those ten thousands like you can say, like a fifteen hundred or or an eight hundred or anything like that. Like, what has that done with with your planning and that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah. So when the when the standard came out, you know, it was really fast. It was thirty one twenty five. And then I was like, oh, my goodness, it's just so much faster than I've run. And it's a little daunting. And then, I, you know, we found out about the ranking system, and we were all kind of like, oh, that, well, that's just annoying I mean, how it worked. And then I realized that it's actually beneficial for me. You know, I'm um, when you place first at a national championship, you get a lot of points. When you place well at Pan Am Games, you get a lot of points. So it's not necessarily about your time. It's how you place some of these you know, really big meets, and I'm currently ranked 13th in the world, whereas on the top list, I think I'm about, I think I'm 25th with my, just with my time, so, I mean, it's actually working out really well for me, and if things progress this way, I should have a good, good chance at being, you know, selected to go to the Olympics next year, based off the ranking system.
0: Well, yeah, I was, I was gonna ask about that. I mean, um, your record is is now a few years old, but you know you're racing you're racing better than ever. You know, has has there been that shift towards you know just having a good race versus having a fast time?
1: Yeah, you know, there's only been one opportunity in the last four years where I was going for time, which was Peyton Jordan. And um, I definitely felt fitter last year at Commonwealth. But it, wasn't, it was a championship race, so it wasn't like I was going for time. So I'm hoping that, you know, World Champs this year I can get into that same kind of shape I was in for Commonwealth and, and if it goes out fast enough. But again, it's a championship race, so I'm not running for time there. I'm just hoping that that's going to be like, you know, cherry on top. If I, if I run well, the time will come with it, so...
0: You know, speaking of of your coach, uh, Coach Lynn Kanuka, I mean, it was uh, it's it's been a pretty big year for for her as well too. Her her long standing Canadian fifteen hundred meter record has fallen. Um, I think we we can look at that in a framing of just so many of of the Canadian women's records have have fallen this year, and it's it's been a really exciting time you know what as as someone who has been in the sport uh you know for so long and someone who has been involved in the sport for so long what what's the feeling that you're getting from from her seeing this you know renewed energy uh within the sport especially on the women's side
1: you know lynn's a lynn's a cheerleader for all women in sport and she was very excited for gabriella and she knew she said years ago gabriella will be the one to get my record And, you know, she says records are meant to be broken. And so she, you know, of course, it's been, she's been, you know, 35 years she had that record. So I'm sure, you know, it was, it was tough to lose that. But in my mind, in many people's mind, you know, Lynn will be the Canadian record holder in the 1500. I mean, I still say it when I talk about her, even though it's not hers anymore, but it was for so long and, you know, she set the bar so high and. Um, I think she's she's really excited to see so many women running fast and and breaking records and
0: you know we we talked about the 10,000 meter championships uh back in back in your home province of British Columbia you know you're so, you're someone who's on the ground and and you played uh, you know a certain part in, in the promotion of that as well too uh with with your name certainly being tied to it quite a bit w- what was that like uh you know running it running in the hometown for a national championships you know did you really feel the the support there
1: yeah, you know, um, I don't I don't think I had very much to do with promoting the event. Uh, that was the BC Endurance Project that put it on, and I had little to do with it, uh, to be honest. So I was very excited, though, that it was at home, and I had lots of my friends and family there, which was really cool because there's – I can't – I mean, I think I've run a 110,000-meter in BC. That was Victoria Lake, I don't even know, eight years ago. Hmm. So for some of my friends – to see me run my race was you know for the first time was really neat for them and it was you know I was really happy that it it went well and I was able to you know show them a good race and what uh, an exciting 10,000 can look like
0: (laughs) all right so world championships uh coming up you know the this fall uh September October Mm -hmm. that's uh you know that that's got to be the big one for you Um, you know, what, what are the plans for, like, what does the training look like between now and then, you know, you've talked about recovery and that sort of stuff, but you know, what, what are the workouts looking like? You know, what, what are you really stressing on?
1: Yeah. So, uh, this weekend is six weeks out. Um, so I haven't, I'm going to start doing workouts. Um, I think this Saturday I'll have my first like bigger workout. I did like a fart lick yesterday and, which was very little, but um, I'm going to St. Moritz, uh, Switzerland, on August 24th, and I will be there for three weeks training. For the first week and a half, I'll be there with my boyfriend, and then um, we have a Team Canada training camp there starting on September the 7th, so I'll be joined by a few other athletes, and uh, Jess O'Connell will be there, which would be great. We've done some training together, so I'm looking forward to that. And then on September the 17th, I'm going to our heat training camp in Spain. So I'll meet um, the rest of Team Canada there for a few, um, you know, little touch-up sessions. And then September the 28th is World Champs in in Doha. So there's really not that much time. (laughs) It's coming quick.
0: Oh, yeah. No doubt, no doubt. You know, Doha is going to be so warm, and, and you mentioned, uh, you know, the 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 heat camp going into there as well too. Um, you know, is is that something that, that you've had in mind with with the training this summer and and getting ready for for that sort of stuff? Have have you pulled out of the the snowsuit for some easy runs or, or you know what what are you doing?
1: <laughs> no, you know, I haven't really uh, been. I've been more one race at a time, so. <laughs> Been more concerned with training for Pan Ams and um, the the stadium in Doha is um, air conditioned, so it hasn't been. A, I'm not that concerned about running in the heat, so I w- I'm very lucky that it's air conditioned to 22 degrees. So it will be warm, but it won't be that warm.
0: You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm wondering how that will work with, with with air conditioning in a, in a stadium that big. But uh, I guess I guess we'll see. <laughs> but uh, you well, know,
1: they they already put a meet on. Um, mm-hmm. And Trent Stellingworth, our uh, uh, physiologist, is that what doctor physiologist? <laughs> he was there and he took uh, readings in the stadium of the temperature throughout the day, and it was average 22 throughout the day of that meet at the Diamond League in Doha. So um, he was, says that's what it should be if, if all stays the same. And yeah.
0: You know, it's uh, it's it's been a lot of fun to to watch you race, uh, you know, over, over the last couple of years, and it's really great to to see you do so well, uh, you know, especially especially as of late, and uh, you know, we'll definitely be cheering for you come come World Championships time, but uh, it was it sure was special to to watch what you did, um, you know, at at Pan Ams uh, this past week, and you know, thanks thanks a lot for being on the show, Natasha, and thanks for for being a real supporter of this program.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, no problem. You guys have some good podcasts.
0: Lewis Ken was a cultural phenomenon just a few years ago. Going from creating YouTube videos documenting his progression to take the World Beer Mile record to appearing on Ellen and winning the World Championship, it was really quite hard to miss him. Lewis, a Brooks athlete, just released his book taking a look at that time as well as taking a look at the event as a whole. It's called A World Champion's Guide to the Beer Mile. We caught up with him earlier this week. A World Champion's Guide to Running the Beer Mile, a manual and a memoir of running, chugging, and not throwing up. That's what the book is called. And man, out on my run today, I was thinking that there was just a whole bunch of really interesting times for you. You know, a couple of years ago, there's the the whole Ellen thing and, you know, there was all the international competitions that, that you got to be a part of. You know, you were you were all over the internet. Like it was it was a pretty wild time. Let's go back to the beginning, though. Where does the book start?
2: So the book starts, uh, first chapter is called 24 Hours. So um, it starts in a kind of flurry, the craziest 24 hours of my life. Um, I just got into L.A. to go on the Ellen DeGeneres Show. Um, Kind of goes the ins and outs of that whole experience. Um, And the 24 hours that captured me appearing on the Ellen DeGeneres Show and then the next day, racing at the World Championships, uh, slow track, Austin, Texas.
0: Yeah, I mean, like that was that was that was a pretty wild time with that. You know, when when you're just starting out. Um, I remember the, this campaign to to you know get a, get under five. Did you ever foresee at that time, you know, making these videos and, and you know documenting your, your journey? Did you ever foresee, you know, that twenty four going from that to the twenty four hours that you just described?
2: no not at all um when we first started doing all this stuff we really were just doing it for fun and kind of as a passion project and i just thought it's something fun for friends and family to tune in online and just kind of it was fun because it was really untested waters and uh something that we could i thought if i worked hard at it i could get pretty good never expected to get to the top but um it all started with me trying to break the ontario records and then get the canadian record and then the world record so I could not, when I first started making those videos and posting them up on Tracky, I could not see it getting, especially not moving that fast to the point where I literally was appearing on daytime television and uh, appearing on ESPN and that sort of stuff.
0: What what do you think it ultimately was? Because, I mean, the the beer mile, the concept of the beer mile was around for, you know, well over a decade. I want to say close to to two decades at at that point. Um, You know, but it was really... Your your battle and um, you know with with other people recording their attempts as well too that that really catapulted into the limelight. What do you think it, it was that really spiked that interest in in the public eye?
2: Yeah, I think uh, really what it was is just you know there's not a whole ton of viewership we know within the track and field world, and the average sports consumer isn't as attracted to track as some other sports. But I think when you add the that extra aspect of People kind of find it humorous of, yeah, we all know what running a mile feels like. We were forced to do it at some point across our life, but we've also all drank a beer. And funny fact to throw four beers in the middle. And, you know, for a lot of people, I think watching someone try to run a mile and drink four beers under five minutes might be a bit more entertaining than trying to break a four minute mile as uh, incredible as an athletic speed as it is. But I think um, what it really came down to, I think with me at least, because people have been doing beer miles for a long time was. I think part of it was, A, being the right guy at the right time. You know, Track finally decided to have these world championships, and uh, that inspired me to kind of take everything to another level and try and make it there. But I think also a big part of it was kind of the branding behind myself was, you know, this college kid that, you know, he's not the top guy on the college team. He's going to be in, you know, the second of two th- of three heats at a track meet, maybe come middle of the pack. Um, I think it was more so kind of the story that, you know what, Lewis Kensis world champion beer modeler, but he also could just be your neighbor that goes out at 4 30 every day and goes for his run
0: yeah i'm so i mean like there was all those public eyes you know looking down on you uh you know like you said you you may have been you know middle middle of the pack but you know you, you're still a pretty fast runner and stuff what did all those eyes on you and and what did what did the pressures that come along with that What did What did that do for your running and, and how seriously you took it? And, and, you know, did that, did that really change things?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I started to put more time and effort into, I mean, it wasn't just because of the beer mile, but I knew if I got fitter on the regular running, I'd get quicker at the beer mile. But also I think cause I had more eyes on me all of a sudden it was funny. The first meet I, I won the world championships. 2015 and in 2016 i remember indoors opening um at that first indoor windsor meet Uh, i think it's the can-am classic and i'm going to start line there's three sections of the men's 1500 i'm seated back of the pack the middle of the pack in the middle section and we're about to get called to the start line and they call lewis kent to the line and a guy that's seated top of the section he's around a 1500 four seconds faster than me goes oh my god like i'm racing the world champion lewis kent and i looked at him and said man you're probably about to beat me by two or three seconds. I'm I'm a, I'm a mere mortal, just like yourself. So um, it was fun. I mean, I'm everyone that knows me well knows I'm super easygoing, and it obviously gave me a bit more inspiration to run hard. But I am um, I'm definitely someone who performs under the pressure and enjoys having kind of a bit of the eyes on me. So I um, it didn't really like. At no point did I think, wow, I'm this world champion beer mauler, I shouldn't be losing to these other guys. No, they were still better runners than me, and I trained as hard as I could and raced as hard as I could still. So it, um, it was a fun it was fun to be in the spotlight a bit, but um, yeah, I had a lot of fun conversations on the start line with people who uh, who really, I'd say 90% of people really enjoyed the whole beer mauler story.
0: Uh, I I have to think that'd be a little bit of foreshadowing if in that Can Am race there was uh, one Corey Belmore running it. Do you do, do you remember who was on the start line that day?
2: Um, I'm trying to think who was there, but if Corey probably was running, but I wouldn't have been in the same section as him just because I wasn't like I was hovering right around four minutes for the fifteen hundred indoors and the top section would have been all the beasts. So it would have been like Corey Belmore, Alex Allman, Sasha Smart, kind of those top guys in Canada whereas I'd be in that second section. So, yeah, there might have been a bit foreshadowing with him winning the top section um, in that race, but I don't think I was actually on the the same – I wasn't in the same calibre, and I never really have been as Corey.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that that's uh, that's one thing that really happened after after it blew up, and and you were kind of the, the the face of that. You know, all of a sudden we had people like Corey, and you know, there's there have been some pretty high caliber athletes in there. Um, I think Josh Josh Harris also comes to to mind as well too, like people who are you know either at that international level or you know almost there. You know, could be there very shortly is it is that something that, that you really notice as time went along or do you, do you think that the beers might actually be a bit of an equalizer between yourself and and those top level guys
2: yeah i mean i think it's definitely cool that it attracts top talent i mean i think Corey would agree that the beer miles only done good things for him like it's gotten him a deal with adidas and it's opened up a whole bunch of opportunities for him um which is great towards his branding and getting him into meets and all that um I think he sees it as it gives him more opportunity and more time to maybe push longer into his track career. Um, he's still fairly young, but as we all know, it's hard to stay um, involved in track and field when there's lots of pressure to start working full-time and just get life underway. Um, but I think that the beers are an equalizer for sure. I mean, I definitely think I would be closer. If I was in top form and Corey was in top form, I'm closer to him in a beer mile than I am in a flat mile. Um, just because I think... I still believe I'm the best drinker, one of the best drinkers in the world, and I think I can get them on the beers a little bit. So it, uh, it does equalize it a bit, too, cause you're not able to run quite as quick. I think what made me the best in the world at the time, and still one of the best of all time, was that my mile time in the beer mile was usually only about two, three seconds slower than the fastest I could run a flat mile. So that was just something that really helped me out, whereas most guys, I think, at least five seconds, most of them 10 to 12 seconds slower on the run lap
0: overall okay so one thing that that i like to ask you know mo- most guests is is what uh what workout they know it really has them prepared going going into a certain race now yours is a little bit different because <laughs> i would imagine that there there would be some sort of beverage involved you know what what workouts would you do before these beer miles that you know that you were fit you were ready and uh and you could do well
2: yeah so my go-to um would be the race is on a Saturday. My last workout would be kind of the Wednesday before. Um, and what I would do is typically around eight, 400, um, do them right around the pace I want to run in the race, maybe a little bit slower, whatever's comfortable. Um, definitely don't want to be pushing too hard, but what I would do something like eight, four hundreds with two minutes rest. Um, I would do the first three, 400 with no beers at all. So just flat three, 400. So for me, when I was um, in peak form, that would be around maybe 64 seconds per 400. Um, two minutes rest, just relaxing. And then on the fourth 400, um, I would start it with a beer. So I would do a beer chug and then run my 400. So at the time um, I'd be shooting for around maybe 72 to 73 seconds with the beer end and the run lap. So maybe a 64, 65 plus the beer. Um, and then, so first three would be flat 400s. My fourth one would start with the beer. My fifth and sixth ones, I would end with a beer. So I was kind of stimulating on that fourth rep, me starting the race, and then on the fifth and sixth reps, I would finish with a beer. Um, starting with the beer, it's more I see it like shooting a free throw. It's kind of you practice so many times, it should be automatic. Whereas finishing the lap and having to drink the beer out of breath, that's the harder part. So I would do three flat 400s. My fourth one would be starting with the beer. Fifth and sixth, I would finish with a beer. Then I would just do two flat four hundreds at the end, just to get used to running a bit with the stomach full of beer.
0: We're talking with Lewis Kent, author of a world champion's guide to running the beer mile manual and memoir of running, chugging, and not throwing up. You know, the the story was very, very interesting. You know, your your entire rise to the top. One thing that I've noticed though is that we haven't seen you around lately, as uh, as far as running goes. Well, where where have you been?
2: Yeah, so I'm um, actually, so my time at Western, so I got here from Western in 2016. Um, kept running into 2017. Um, I just had a really long-standing left patellar tendon issue. Um, well, in my time at Western, I was limited to running most years about four times a week just due to some pain there. And all the therapists kind of told me, yeah, no worries. If it's not, it's not killing you, you can keep running through it and just cross-train the other days and you'll get through it. And eventually what happened was it just caught up with me in 2017, um, I went to go for a run one day, and I couldn't even get down the street. It was so painful. So um, I've been able to get back up to some bit of running. I saw a therapist. I got it properly scanned the end of 2017, and uh, a doctor told me I had to pretty much go nine months without trying to run. That's uh, how much damage had been done to my tendon. Uh, quote, unquote, he said, your left patellar tendon is the equivalent of a 60-year-old osteoarthritic women's uh, patellar tendon. So obviously some tough news to hear. Um, so 2018 I pretty much had to just take off running and this year I've still had some hiccups like the tendon is almost permanently damaged so it can only handle so much so I've been able to get up to about 30 to 40 minute runs three times a week which is a lot better than doing nothing at all last year but still nowhere near where I want it to be so um, I'm continually working on it working with a full team of therapists the kind team physio, chiro, uh, massage, try to get everything back up and running. So. I'm hoping 2020 is the year you see Lewis Kent back on the full full scene.
0: Oh man, definitely definitely hoping for that. You know, another big change that that I certainly noticed, uh, you know, throughout your from from the time of your first video to you know when you were at the peak of your career was when you started. You know, it was very much an inter- underground sort of sort of cool sort of thing. You know, something you do at the end of the season. Uh, you know, you gather gather the team together and you kind of do it at, at twilight. Make sure that you don't get. Uh, make sure that that you don't get uh, interrupted by the local law enforcement, that sort of stuff. Now it seems to yeah. have have really blown up, you know, and, you know, every single run group does it out there. And, you know, even even non-runners are, are doing it and stuff. Do you think that, you know, the explosion of, of the beer mile, do you, do you think it kind of took something away from the sport? Or do you think that, that it more added something to it? Um, I'd
2: say it more added something. I mean, the idea now that probably like since 2015 when it exploded and got on ESPN and Ellen and all these big things, the number of beer mile participants that have happened in the world is probably a hundred times, at least 20, 30 times more. So I think that it's taken off has been a great thing. Um, I understand kind of the point that like, you know, most run clubs are doing it. It's not as many are happening like after dusk at nighttime. But at the same time, those same events that i've been to and still continue to go to they still happen um i think when you get a larger group out say 50 plus you still need to do it kind of underground because you don't want it the local law enforcement involved but um, (laughs) i think taking off has just made it even better because like you said like almost every running group will do it not that everyone's going to take part but most running groups will do one and even non-running groups like i know soccer players and hockey players and they get their friends together and they can do four laps around the track and Quite often, they can beat the runners at the beer mile because they're able to get the beers down quicker. So, it's um I think only good things have come from it, kind of coming out between the woodworks.
0: You know, once once again, the title of the book is a World Champions Guide to Running the Beer Mile a Manual and memoir of running, chugging, and not throwing up. You know, if you were to uh, if you were to pitch, you know, a couple good stories from the book, the reasons why people should pick it up. Uh, you know, what what would they be?
2: So I did, I'll give you a couple of reasons here uh, why I think the book is a good purchase. The first one is there's a pretty cool history behind the beer mile. So there's a full chapter, the second chapter that goes over how the beer mile came to be, how it all started, where the rules were written and by who, and gives you the whole modernization to getting to current date, how it became a world-renowned event with a world championship. Um, that's the first one. There's a chapter that's on how to run a beer mile, which is more of a beer maller's 101 beer mileage for dummies um so i'd say those are two huge reasons is kind of to hear the history um and to learn how to run a beer mile or get faster they're fed up with their running friends constantly beating them in beer miles so it is more of an advanced tip kind of drinking what angles to chug the beer at some a couple techniques that will help you get more elite and one final one is i think there's a pretty fun story along the way so about 50 percent of the book is my story and kind of some fun things that have happened along the way because as you can imagine with a an event that involves running and drinking there's uh, some pretty hilarious stories along the way
0: ah, definitely definitely so how can uh, how can people you know s- seek out this book how, how can they find it how can they uh, how can they purchase a the copy
2: yeah so um, it's available on uh, Amazon worldwide so Amazon Canada US anywhere in the world you can avail it's available on Amazon so you can go buy it there uh, it's also available on Indigo's website and then in select and new go stores. So um, people can feel free to reach out online and do that. Or if they want to reach out to me at lewis.kent, L-E-W-I-S on Instagram or lewiskentmiler on Twitter, um, I'm more than glad to sign you a personal copy and ship it to you.
0: Perfect. You know, I'm, I hope a lot of people do that because man, it, even if you even if you don't remember trust me it was a wild wild story you know going from you know being a being a purple pony to being someone you know who is who is world renowned and uh you know i'm glad you got to document it and uh, i'm glad that is available for for people to read about that that wild ride uh i really appreciate you being on the show this week man uh thanks for taking the time
2: thanks for having me michael really appreciate it and i uh, look forward to listening to it i'm a I'm an avid listener of Terminal Mile, so I'm uh, honored to be on the show once again, and it's pretty cool uh, that way back when you had me and Chris just coincidentally on the show together back in 2015 before we even started working together, and I'm uh, glad to be a guest anytime.
0: Huge thanks to Natasha and Lewis as well as the Tracky for their ongoing support. If you like us, be sure to subscribe to us. We're on tracky.ca, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Terminal Mile Big thanks to you for listening. My name is Michael Rokas, and you've been listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.